today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Kim Mitchell is the voice of Canadian Summers, apparently. Him and maybe Gordon Lightfoot. I don't know. Have the two of them ever been mentioned in the same sentence? I'm not sure. Scott Radley in for Scott Thompson this week on the Scott Thompson Show. And yeah, Kim Mitchell, the great Canadian songwriter, rocker, he uh, is going into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. That was just announced. If you've never heard of the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame, because it's different from the Canadian Music Hall of Fame, it's okay. I want to talk about it a little bit because it's a really cool idea because it's not just songwriters that can go into this. Uh, songs can be inducted too, which is a neat idea because I've always thought, you know, sometimes you can have a great song, one hit wonder. It's a fantastic song, but the songwriter, you know, does isn't worthy of a Hall of Fame, but maybe the song is. I love the idea. Want to bring in Eric Alper. He is a music expert, a commentator, a publicist. He does all kinds of stuff in the world of music. Eric, how are you today? Hey, Scott. What's going on? Good to talk to you. So how um, how would you distinguish, and by the way, happy to talk to you as well. Uh, how would you distinguish <laughs> when you're talking about a Hall of Famer between a performer and a songwriter? Are, are the two automatically intertwined or can you see a need for a special songwriter Hall of Fame? Yeah, kind of, you know, in a country like Canada where we, you know, definitely punch well above our weight when it comes to the songwriters. There's there's songwriters that are in the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame, say like Eddie Schwartz, who wrote Pat Benatar's Hit Me With Your Best Shot, that there might not be a place for him in the Canadian Music Hall of Fame if that was the only thing that he ever wrote. Um, Men Without Hats, for instance, are in uh, for the safety dance in the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame because that song is just an absolute drop-dead, stone-cold classic. But maybe Men Without Hats needs to wait a little bit longer to get into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame um, because there are just other people that might have been around longer that had bigger hits for a longer period of time. But there are people, of course, like Puffy St. Marie or Stan Rogers or... Andy Kim that are that have been in the the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame for the songs that they wrote, but also as artists and performers um, for developing their career over the last you know twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years. I can't tell when I look through, and, and I didn't know who was or wasn't in the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame until I started looking when we were talking about Kim today, and. I started looking through. This is either the most exclusive Hall of Fame in Canada or it's a Hall of Fame that's missing something. And I'm not sure what, because I started going through no Alanis Morissette in this, no Shania Twain, no Katie Lang, no Tragically Hip, no David Wilcox. It's like, is this is this just the most exclusive club in the world? It's really difficult because they only do one or two songs on both the French side and the English side a year. And when you do that, there's going to be a lot of songs that are in the, the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame that, that get left out. Um, the Junos have that problem as well with the Canadian Music Hall of Fame where they're like so a little bit behind when it comes to the people that should be already inducted from the 1950s and 60s and 70s and they need to play catch up too so you know look nobody none either of those two places will never take my advice and and put in 20 to 25 (laughs) at one time so what do i know well yeah because as i say i was going through the list of the people who are in the 
Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. And I, I kept looking for Brian Adams. I thought, okay, maybe I'm skipping over. Maybe they just forgot. It. And then like just one example, but then I see there's a group called Harmonium, which I'm guessing that not one person listening right now could sing me a song by the prog rock Quebec group Harmonium from the 1970s. Nonetheless, they are there, you know? So, yeah. okay. They, they, you, you know, Harmonium, uh, how do you describe them? You, you know what? I have somebody that actually might be able to help out with that. Um, Kim, Kim Mitchell, are you there? Yeah, Eric, how are you doing? Hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. Kim Mitchell, holy cow. Yeah. Eric, how did you pull this off? Way to go. Yeah, Kim, thanks for joining us. This is a nice surprise. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Actually, you were, you were mentioning that uh, I was going to be inducted into the Canadian Songwriter Hall of Fame. Uh, that has already happened, and they okay. inducted my whole body of work. So. Um, whether I'm supposed to be there, I'm surprised more than anyone. As a matter of fact, I, I was, when they announced it, I'm like, are you sure you have the right guy? And then as soon as they did announce it, the first person I heard of, heard from was Miles Goodwin of April Wine. And he, and apparently they're not in there. I don't know. But, but he said, all he said was, what's a guy got to do? Well, I'm not surprised at all, Kim. In fact, I'm more surprised you weren't in before, and I'm more surprised that you're not in the Canadian Music Hall of Fame, if I've got that right, because I don't know how that's even possible. Um, Well, that's very nice of you to say. um, It it was very touching to hear that I was going to be inducted into the Songwriting Hall of Fame, and then when it actually happened, uh, it was even more touching. So, um, geez, I... You know, you're just a guitar player writing songs. I started, you know, dare I say, 49 years ago and doing that on a Greek island. And uh, you just have your head down writing these tunes and you look up and you go, okay, there's uh, some gold records. There's some platinum albums. You go, okay, things are going okay. You back down and you're performing and next thing you know, you're getting this award, which to me, I mean, you see gold records and platinum albums coming. You can kind of sense you might get a Juno award, but this one blindsided me so you know some may think that i deserve to be there i'm not so sure but but thank you anyway uh, you got to tell the story tell me the greek island story how, do, how you got started doing this where were you what were you doing when you became a music writer in in the greek islands sure sure absolutely i was going to go back to school at 18 i had quit school at 17 and moved to toronto from Sarnia, ontario um at 18 i was going to go back to school and, and a friend of mine called me and went you want to join a show band and i'm like what's a show band and he said well we, we play nightclubs and we play you know six seven days a week and we play bars and so it was a, a guy and a girl and us behind uh this and and he was like a he was like a greek tom jones so one day he'd go <laughs> my parents my we didn't tell him that he wasn't tom jones like he, he, he just but he was really good at it. And, and he said, my parents are building a nightclub on the Isle of Rhodes in Greece. Do you guys want to come over and play? And I'm like, yeah, sure, let's go. So we ended up over there in Greece. My bud, Pai Dubois, who ended up writing a lot of Max Webster stuff and some of my solo, solo stuff, was going to tour uh, through Europe. And part, part of one of his stops was going to be Turkey and Greece. And this was all done through letters because there's no internet or cell phones. And so he showed up and, and he starts pulling these pieces of paper out of, out of his knapsack. I'm like, what is this? He goes, oh, I write, I write, I kind of write poetry. And so I thought I'd do some writing while I'm out here. And I looked at one song and it, I grabbed the lyric and we wrote our first tune right there. 
So do you do you consider yourself because you're both? Do you consider yourself first a songwriter or first a performer? A performer. Yeah, yeah. I've always always because it started as that. I, I when I first started playing in bands at 13, 14 years old, I was just playing other people's music, and I was a bass player at first, and then a guitar player, and then you know, I was in a band when we moved to Toronto at seventeen. Um, we were playing our own stuff, but I still it wasn't my stuff. We were in a band, and uh, you know, it was. Uh, it wasn't until after I had been to Greece that I came back, and Pi and I wrote the first Max Webster album. And I'm guessing too, there's not quite the same adrenaline rush writing a song as there is being on a stage and having people singing it back to you. Oh, oh it's an amazing journey. Actually, it's a completely different experience. Um, I love the songwriting experience, you're, but you are totally correct. They're two different things. You're on stage. There's this adrenaline going. You're you're transmitting an energy on stage. That energy you're trying to, you know, shoot out into the audience, and they pick up on it, and it just becomes this beautiful experience. The, the live show. Songwriting is more personal. You are you are by yourself. There's nobody judging you at that point. You're you're like a, a good example of it is. I was a rock guitar player, and here I was writing a country song called Easy to Tame. And I, and I hesitated at first. I was like, I should be writing this. This isn't me. But then it's like, no, I'm, I'm the only one here right now. Like, go ahead and write it. And I say that to songwriters. Whatever genre you're in, just do it a lot. Do it a lot and do it often because it's, it's about quantity, not quality. Your, your music will develop sooner or later. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are talking about Kim Mitchell going into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. So let me ask you this. I'm always fascinated by how songs come to be and everyone has a different method. Are, are you a guy who wakes up in the morning with a tune in his head and all it's just refining it? Or are you a grinder who sits there and works at something and works and works and finally something emerges at the end? Good question. Things for me, uh, Scotty, have always just they've come to me. Um, all of a sudden you get an idea and that can be anytime in, in the morning. It could be late at night in the middle of the night. It can be driving somewhere. It can be after a show. It can be sitting in a hotel room anywhere. Just all of a sudden I always look at it. I think it was Bob Dylan or, or maybe it was Neil Young. I'm not sure. One of the two say they, they describe it as, you know, all these ideas are floating around in the universe up there. And all of a sudden they pick a musician and we're just, we kind of become the songs roadie. Like it's like the song goes, here's your idea. Finish me, write, write me. And uh, it's it's a cool experience. But back in the day, and, and again, I mean, a lot of your early work in the in the 80s, there was not, you know, we didn't have cell phones to suddenly hit record while you're driving in your car or something. You're driving along and a tune pops in your head. Do you then just keep humming that tune until you can get a chance to pull over and record it somehow so you don't forget? <laughs> or what happens? <laughs> you said to carry your pigeon, whatever. You, whatever. Um, yeah, it, well, as as long as I've been doing it, there were like little tape recorders you could talk into. Um, There's always something that you could you could hum into, which I would carry. Um, and you're right. Sometimes it would be I didn't have that, and I would I would hum and hum and and keep doing it in my head till I came home, and then I ran in the in a house or apartment, grab a <laughs> guitar, and at least get the melody down. Do you know when you're writing something that it's going to be a hit? Because you've had a bunch of hits and you've had a bunch of songs that weren't necessarily hits. Can you tell when you're doing them which ones are going to click? Nobody ever knows. I, I don't believe anybody knows. I think, and and I think looking at writing hits is the big mistake. I I think, I, you know, and I know it happens. I know there's writing teams, there's formulas, 
But for me, it's always just been, I'm writing a song. I want to, I want to get this song to where I love it. And beyond that, I have no control what's going to happen to it after. You know, Rock and Roll Duty was written in 20 minutes. Patio Lanterns was an absolute pain to get recorded. And I wanted the song off the record, but I didn't. But So I don't, you know, never really know. Uh, Greg Wells, who produced my album, he did Apologize by One Republic. I mean, he's done, he's done a lot of stuff that he told me. He said the band didn't want that song on the record. The label didn't want it. And he said, I listened to it. He said, come on, like, like, let's just give it a try. Like, and he said, no, it's a terrible song. And look what happened. I was going to play something for Eric. I didn't know Kim was coming on today, so I was going to play something for Eric. I want to play it for you. It's kind of a funny thing. It's about 30 seconds here. I want you to take a listen to this, Kim, because I'll follow up with a question after this, but this was on social media for a while. Take a listen. Here's how to make an ACDC track in 30 seconds. First, you need drums. Then you need bass. Then you need guitar. All you need to know are three chords. A, D, and G. Put them together in any order. And do your best impression of Marge Simpson. What's that? Look out, dog on the road! What's that? Look out, dog on the road! Okay, so that's, that's pretty hilarious. These guys have figured out how to do ACDC in 30 seconds. There's definitely an ACDC sound that works, but there's also a Kim Mitchell sound. So when people hear a song on the radio, they can tell, even if they've not necessarily heard it, they can usually tell it's Kim Mitchell. What, what's the, what's the secret ingredient to a Kim Mitchell song that makes it that sound? That's an amazing question that I probably can't answer. Um, because, <laughs> well, I can't because it's like looking in the mirror and going, okay, describe yourself. I don't know. All I know is growing up. Um, I loved guitar players and music that you recognized within the first three seconds of them playing. Um, you know, who knows what my journey has been to make me sound the way I sound. I took lessons. I think that that has a bit of a, uh, a, a thing about w my sound. I think the fact that I picked up Peter Forget, a uh, great singer who sings all we are, I think that has been part of it. It's, it's a combination of a lot of things that, that, is always, has always been a moving target, if that makes any sense. Maybe Eric can answer it better. Cause, I mean, Eric knows way more about music than both you and I put together, Scotty. So. That's true. That is true. Eric, what do you think? Is there a, is there a secret to the Kim Mitchell sound? Um, you know what? I don't know if there is, but I will tell you something, though. I remember I, I was too young for the Max Webster stuff. Um, so I got into him when he was like, selling out Kingswood in Toronto with Go For A Soda. And, you know, when you go back to his hits, you realize that they're all rock and roll. They're all upbeat. And then he came out with All We Are. And that was it. I think if he didn't do anything after that, that was the song that I think solidified a brand new generation of people who understood that Kim Mitchell was a songwriter and that he was able to make his choruses double choruses and his verses be choruses as well. It was remarkable. I mean, look, the easy answer would have been to give me the ACDC one because it would have been like, look, if it's a ballad, it's not an ACDC song. But with Kim <laughs> Mitchell, I think you can go all over the place. But I think it's just that classic songwriting that you know you're going to get a really great song out of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a good point, Eric. You know, you know who taught me about songwriting? Because I knew nothing about it in Max Webster. And then one day, Rick Emmett sat me down. And he goes, Triumph, yeah. do, do, you, do, you know, do you know about B verses and bridges and the function? And do you know about this part of a song? And do you know about secondary information and counterpoint? I'm like, what are you talking about? And, <laughs> and, he's, and he said, talked to me about this. It was probably the best music songwriting lesson I, I had ever had. So I sort of learned a lot right then, too. So uh, there really are no rules. All rules are meant to be broken, but who knows why we do what we do and why we sound like we sound. We only have a few seconds left here, but uh, Kim, like, again, I go back and I'm I'm just, as we're talking here, I'm pulling up some of the the dates for some of the songs. And I mean, we're now talking, I can't believe it. It's dating all of us, I suppose, but go for a soda is like 35 years old now, which I just find unbelievable. And patio (laughs) lanterns, we uh, all we are, all those when you, you've heard those songs probably a trillion times or had to play them a trillion times over the years, when you hear them, those recordings, do you listen and go, you know what, I nailed it? Or are you the guy that listens and goes, man, I wish I'd changed that riff there or changed that lyric? Or are, are you someone who's a perfectionist and always finds something you wish you'd done differently? Or are you totally satisfied with what you put on tape? Um, both. I, I, will, I will answer it by this. It, recording a song like Go For Soda or any one of them, it was a moment that happened. You did it, you turn, and you move forward, and you don't look back. It was Quincy Jones told my producer that once. He said, so we're both thriller and all that stuff. He says, we wrote that stuff, and we moved on. We didn't, you never look back at, at what you've done and go, oh, I wish I'd done this. You did it, you did your best, you got it to as good as it could be, and bang, off to the next one. It is. Uh, this has been a great surprise. Did not know Kim Mitchell was going to be joining us, uh, but we were talking about Kim Mitchell being inducted into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. Long overdue. Kim, thanks so much for doing this. Now we got to get you into the yeah. Canadian Music Hall of Fame where you belong as well, but really appreciate oh, the time today. Thanks for doing this. Well, th- thank you. Thanks for having me on. And nice to hear from you too, Eric. <laughs> and I didn't even get to answer the question about harmonium. So next time. That next okay. time, but that is Eric. So we started this with Eric Alper. That's the other voice you're hearing, who's a music publicist. And like Eric, thanks for making that happen. I that was a that was an amazing, unexpected surprise today. So thanks for doing this. Happy to do it, man. Anything for Steve Melon you. You know that. There we go. Thanks so much, guys. The Scott Thompson Show. Weekdays from noon to three on 900 CHML.